Guys, if you're over 30, you're gonna wanna hear this. Every year after puberty, HGH, human growth hormone, the hormone responsible for workout recovery, performance, metabolism, and even libido, starts to decline sometimes by 50% by age 35. Doesn't matter who you are, how hard you train, or how good you eat, it just happens, because we get old. That's where BioPro Plus comes in. BioPro Plus is the first of its kind non-synthetic alternative to prescription HGH growth hormone treatments. All the benefits of synthetic HGH without any of the needles, side effects, doctor visits. Best part of BioPro Plus, it works fast. It's easy to use and 100% safe. It's been trusted by physicians since 2009, and its benefits can be felt in just days instead of months. Guys who use BioPro Plus have experienced faster workout recovery, enhanced performance, metabolism, sexual function, and even better mood and energy. Want to fix the way you perform, look, and feel without all the risk of big pharma synthetic stuff? BioPro Plus. Click on the link in our bio show notes to learn more. I tried BioPro Plus myself and I love it. If you put your body through the ringer like I have, then I think you're gonna love it too. Now, that's what I'm paid to say. Here's what actually happened. These two little white boxes show up in the mail. One that has ampules in it that you take first thing in the morning, and one that has ampules that you take at the end of the day. Within 12 days, because you're taking one ampule in the morning, one ampule at night, and by day 12, I went into the gym, and I'm not kidding you, everything was lighter. My pull-ups, I already could knock out 20. I'm a year away from being 50 years old. I do sets of 20. But this was the first time in a while where I can get up there and knock out sets of 20 plus. Now you add in weights, right? Bench, press, squat, deadlift, all your big basics. Everything was significantly lighter. I also noticed that I was getting more done during the day. My mood was probably better, but because I'm antisocial, there's no one around me to tell me that I was in a good mood. But I felt like I was in a good mood. <laughs> anyway, BioPro Plus, it works. And then when I got off of it, because I did test, okay, let's see what happens when I get off. Things I noticed when I was off is that my joints went back to kind of achiness that I didn't notice before. Um, especially in my shoulders and my knees, which have injuries. So that achiness kind of came back. So of course, I immediately got back on it and continued the journey and will continue the journey. So make sure you check out BioPro Plus. Check them out. Click on the link in our bio show notes to learn more. Hey, thank you for listening. If you're listening, I don't know what you do when uh, you push play. You, uh, you could be half listening. You could be just, uh, you know, toying around on your technology like everybody does. Not really listening. But today you probably will want to listen, okay, because it has everything to do with why you're distracted or why you're not really getting everything you can out of the day. And before we start, got to plug at least Escape the Wolf. I've asked you these questions before. Is your employer providing active shooter training? Do they even have an active shooter policy? You know what? Let's back up. Do they even have a workplace violence policy in place? In any workforce education that allows you to win when a good day goes bad. 
And when I say that, that's a bullet flying through your room. You should know what to do. If you don't, go to escapethewolf.com. If your crisis management department, your HR department, if they don't know where to go, go in there and tell them. Escapethewolf.com. Escapethewolf.com. Escape the Wolf is a crisis management company providing policy, workforce training, and tools that focus on the big five crises that every organization will face. Man-made, which includes active shooter, natural disaster, cyber threat awareness, safe travel from home to work or from Dulles to Dubai. And of course, you've got medical events, like just knowing what are the signs and symptoms of a stroke? How do you do CPR? How do you stop the bleeding? It's good to know how to stop the bleeding with bullets flying. Anyway, escapethewolf.com. Tell your boss to go check it out and get the training you deserve. Okay, let's kick it off here. Today, I have a repeat guest, and I've never really had too many repeat guests. I think I've had uh, Jack Carr was uh, one of them. He comes on. Um, I can't think of another. So we've got the author of The Comfort Crisis and his new book, Scarcity Brain, which is coming out 923, but we'll get an update on that in a second. And founder of 2%.com. I want to welcome Michael Easter to the show. Welcome back, buddy. It's good to be back, man. I can't believe I'm one of the few repeat offenders. Feels good. <laughs> yeah, we do. Honestly, it's like I I can't think of uh, too many others. And yeah, you're right there with Jack Carr, which uh, you know, obviously he's crushing it. And I seem to bring him up almost every fucking podcast these days because he's everywhere, and everybody yeah. knows him, and he knows everyone. And it's just uh, and it makes for a small world. But in the author world, you know, it's always been nice, you know. When I was over at Simon and Schuster, you and I, of course, share the same editor. So, um, you know, Jack is still over there. You're still so now. You went first book was with Simon and Schuster, and then the second one, or which path did you take? So what happened is it signed with Simon and Schuster, and then Matthew took the job with our editor, took the job with Penguin Random House, and dragged me over to Penguin Random House with it, which was <laughs> which was a good thing. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I, in, I think when he left, I had the right kind of crazy, and he had to turn right kind of crazy over to this super junior kid. Oh, no. So that book fell on its face. That is, <laughs> it was horrible. Yeah. Such a great book. My go, I give it all to my ghostwriter. She did such a great job putting that together and then uh it just got zero marketing and it was bad timing the pandemic kicked off you had the russian scandal with trump so i'm sure you've battled this with publicity like you know there's all these selfish fucks that are taking up bandwidth and um us little authors down here that just want a little slice we don't get shit they just uh it's like podcasts is really our only thing, you know? Yeah. What, what we get is an ability to bitch about it on podcasts, and that feels good in the short term. And we'll take yeah. it. We will take yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Just get on a podcast, talk about your book, and do it like at least a million times, and you will uh, you probably will sell a couple. <laughs> All right. Exactly. Okay. Let's, uh, let's get into it. Here's your it. Uh, rapid fire. Analog or digital analog 
lift or run? Ooh, I know. I think maybe a couple years ago I would have said lift. Now I'm more run. Good. Although, although my my you only give me two options. I would probably say <laughs> rock. Rock would be my answer because then I kind of get a little bit of both. Yeah. All right. Well, well don't worry. We're circling around. Uh, whole food or supplements? Whole food. Rise with the sun or rise before the sun? Rise before the sun. Because mm, I have a dog that insists that I do that <laughs> every morning. Got it. Uh, urban or rural? Rural. Also a hard word to pronounce. Uh, yeah. Especially me. Rural. I have kind of some certain words I have like a nasally kind of thing going on. I don't know why. It just um, sounds like an R. Yeah. You say it too often. That's right. Uh, behavior or environment? Environment. Okay. The, and I've got a reason for that one. You probably know it, but it, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, change or adapt adapt comfort crisis or scarcity brain <laughs> right now it's scarcity brain <laughs> <laughs> all right that was pretty easy I mean, was, because you've done this before i didn't get into whole the whole like uh you know because the first you know right off the bat we know first book and that first discussion um with me we focused a lot on you hanging out with uh more of a tribal crew and uh, you talked a lot about that freezing cold temperatures and kind of mm -hmm. totally out of your comfort zone and then uh yeah it obviously this will open up the door to scarcity brain and what you learned there but uh, let's circle back to the top first analog versus digital you picked analog and why well, I think that living today, you're you're inevitably going to get a certain dose of digital, and that dose is increasing every single year. So you look at how much time the average person spends engaged with digital media, it's over 12 hours now. The last time uh, the Nielsen ratings came out and they polled it, it was 12 hours and 20 minutes on average per person, per American, per day. So that's from TVs, that's from cell phones, that's from podcasts that's from video games that's from all this stuff that's an insane shift in human life right yeah. we didn't have any of this stuff for two and a half million years of human evolution and now it's basically become our lives so my sense is if i consciously think okay i'm going to try and do some things analog that's going to offset any potent offset some of the negatives from digital good example would be uh google maps so like people don't, we know like where we are on, in space, like on a map now, but people don't know how to get anywhere anymore. Yeah. It's like, you just plug it in, you just plug it in Google maps and you're like, yeah, I, I guess that's where it is. Like people have just totally lost their sense of direction. So even something as simple as like, I'm going to go back to analog and I'm going to figure this out on a map. That's a good practice. You're going to pick up, you're going to learn things through that process and get a sense of place be able to uh make your way out of a dangerous situation even i mean think of something happens and you're like okay i gotta get out of here and oh i forgot my cell phone because i had to jet you're like uh-oh now i'm in a pickle no that's a great point I, I i i look at my daughter right she's 19 and she's never known life without like gps right whereas for me 
you know, my, my first part of my life, you, you used to call a place of business on a landline and say, like, how do I get to you? And they'd say, well, you're going to go down 75. You're going to get off at exit 123. You're going to take a left under the bridge. Okay. You're going to go about five, six blocks, less than a mile. You're going to take a right on Congress. Now, when you take that right off to your left is going to be a 7-Eleven. <laughs> and then to the right is going to be a building that looks like it's 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 been blown over in a tornado. And we're the building behind that. <laughs> yeah, dude. That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. So when no, I was in uh when I was in high school, my job was delivering pizzas, and this is before GPS, and so you would get an, a name of an address and you would have to open up the, the big map of the town and yeah. you would flip it over and you go, okay, it's <laughs> it's Cherry Street. Where the hell's that? Here's the quadrant. You flip it back over and you go, oh, okay, like here it is. Here's how I'm going to get there. But through that process, eventually you don't need to use the map at all. You're like, I know right. where every single street is in this entire town. And that's yeah. like, a, that's a pretty cool skill. It is. And I, you know, I've, I've tried to stress that on my daughter or heck in any of my books too. Like you've got to know how to read a map and you've got to know where to get from point A to point B. And here, here's the other thing most people don't know. I went to, I was admitted to Walter Reed for like 30 days because of PTSD, nightmares, all these issues I was having. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you, if you have enough of these problems, you get admitted and, you know, and now you're kind of put in this position where everybody's analyzing you and trying to fix you. And part of that, one of the tests they did, they said, hey, we want you to walk from this part of the hospital to the other end of the hospital. And along the way, you've got to, one, you've got to follow the map, and two, count how many fire extinguishers you see along the way. Mm. And... It, they 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 use that to set the baseline. Okay, I did it. I was horrible. Like cognitively, I had so many issues that following directions and keeping track of fire extinguishers. Right, you got to observe them, keep a tally in your mind, and also keep track of the rights, the lefts, go upstairs, downstairs, everywhere that they had you to go. Um, that I failed. I just failed miserably. Yeah, but. 30 days later, you know, you go went through a lot of counseling, group therapy, art therapy, freaking yoga therapy, you name it. They, they, they basically throw the throw everything at you and uh, find what works. But then by the end, you do that again. Cognitively, I'd improved, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like huge, but it was, you know, 10, 15 percent better. Mm -hmm. being able to count those fire extinguishers. But it boils down to that if, you, if you're constantly testing yourself, whether it's puzzles or, you know, whatever, you're actually increasing the longevity of your brain because you're cognitively exercising it on a regular basis. So if you're not doing puzzles or you don't like puzzles, well, then go learn how to do, you know, the, the other one that they do is these partner dancing, you know, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. What do you call some of those dances? The you know, learning those dances uh, with a partner. Ballroom dancing. The ballroom dancing. Yeah. yeah. Like it forces your brain. You have to memorize a pattern and then you have to physically do it. Execute so it. if there's any reason to go analog, it is increased longevity of your freaking 
brain's life and not run into, you know, whether it's memory issues or, you know, and also it helps kind of, you know, scare off things like Alzheimer's and dementia and some of that other stuff. Anyway, total tangent, but a good reason to go analog. Hey everyone, I have a new 50% off promo code for you. It is CYSTP50 at factormeals.com. Factor sent me a bunch of no prep meals that I really enjoyed for my lunch. The Factor meals were a perfect solution for me for fast premium options with no cooking required. I strongly recommend giving them a try and I have a 50% off promo code if you do. Factor meals taste great and are no prep, no mess. So they're ready to heat and eat with no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. I also really enjoyed the wellness shots. Take advantage of this 50% off. Head to factormeals.com slash CYSTP50 and use code CYSTP50 to get 50% off. That's code CYSTP50 at factormeals.com slash CYSTP50 to get 50% off. Any thoughts on that? I would. So in the book, I talk about how humans are unique in that we are the best explorers in the animal kingdom. Yeah. So in 50,000 years, which is like not much time in the grand scheme of time, we literally took over the world. We are insatiable explorers. There's no other animal that explores like we do. Humans are, have gotten to the top of Everest. We're in the North poles. We're in the jungles. And this allowed us this like drive to explore. We have is how we became the apex species. Yeah. And that has really changed. We So we still have this drive to explore, but the way that we express it now is very different. I think that we spend more time online, right? So we've exploring, like- Exploring, yeah, exploring ex cyber instead of exploring the world. Right. So I talked to these uh, researchers and they said, you know, it's- People still explore, but it's like, we're looking for deals on toasters, on Amazon. Like we still have this inquisitiveness, but it's no longer going out into the unknown in the real world. And as you're going out into the unknown in the real world, you're probably, uh, you're moving more. Maybe if you're walking, you're encountering these like real spaces in the world, uh, meeting real people, you're doing all these other things that are good for you and brain enhancing, body enhancing, just life enhancing. Yeah. You know, you're not you're not going to remember looking for the deal on, you know, lightning day or whatever it's called on on Amazon, but <laughs> yeah. deciding like, hey, I'm going to go check out new parts of the city that I live in. And just like totally cold. Like I'm not going to google it at first. Like what's in this what's in this area? What's in this area? Like you're going to see some really interesting things that you're going to remember in the in the future. Yeah. No, I think that's great. And you're exercising your brain and getting to know your environment and uh, being, you know, going back to your first book, you're getting comfortable with uncomfortable things. And that sometimes a new place and not knowing uh, where you're going and without a plan is uncomfortable for a lot of people. So, yeah, it's awesome. Okay. Um, lift versus run. Yeah, this that's it, a tough one because we hear so much, um, but you you picked run, but go ahead and talk through it all. So I guess if I, so we're assuming that you can only do one for the rest yeah. of your time. Um, sure. If I'm picking between those two, I think that when you look at what kills people today, cardiovascular disease, full stop, is the number one killer of humans. Like, yeah. 
by far. It's right. the number one killer of people around the world. And I think that probably aerobic exercise is more advantageous for heart health than is lifting. They're all good. Yeah. But it's like, if I have to go, okay, what's probably going to be the best between these two for longevity, I'm probably going to go with running. So humans are unique in that we are really good at covering long distances compared to other animals. So other animals, um, they're fast, but they can't go long distances. Whereas we evolved to run these insanely long distances in order to hunt. And then we'd have to carry all the meat back to camp. So we're really yeah. good at that. And it seems like we are built more with endurance in mind rather than lifting. So a lot of my work, I think back to like, okay, why are we the way we are? Yeah. <laughs> and how can, how can that reason, uh, those reasons inform how we should act today? So that's kind of where my thinking is on that. But that's not to say that, you know, you shouldn't lift. Like the, the right. answer is, which is the best exercise? The answer is all of them. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Any exercise. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I found it interesting. Running has come full circle again, you know, coming from the military, obviously you run, um, but once you're in the teams, you'll have guys that continue to run. Then you have guys that choose, nope, I don't need to run. You know, we're, we're not in the job of running and that's true. It's not like we're going to run from bad guys. We never do. <laughs> so, right. you know, it's like, so you also end up lifting a lot. Um, and where strength is a huge part, especially for the SEAL teams. Um, now you fast forward it. Now it's very much hit. You know, you're getting cardio. You get anaerobic and aerobic all at the same time with hit workouts. That's the beauty of them. You know, you can put on muscle and get your heart and lungs a workout all in one run by, you know, these high intensity interval training that's been around for a while. People keep trying to rebrand it and whatever. But I, I'm with you. It, it all works. But I, I personally love to run. Lately, I haven't been able. My, my knees have decided to just, you know, I've ran my whole life, never had any issues. And now, now, now they're just like, no, they're just saying yeah. no to me. <laughs> so it's like, we've I'm, had enough. Yeah. We're on strike. Yeah, exactly. I've actually got my, I have an appointment tomorrow to find out like what's going on. It was interesting. I've been running and doing all this stuff and I'm, and I've been, and I just did it. I claim I've never had any any issues with my legs and i go to this ortho guy here in dallas and he does his little tests and this is before you know mri uh, now we've mm. got the mris but he's sitting there and he, my knees are like wobbling in his hand he's like dude you're you're both your acls are like torn i'm like really when did that happen? He's like, I don't know. When did that happen? I'm like, I've never, I never knew that they were torn. You know? Oh, wow. So, yeah, That's I, think wild. I think for a while now, I've been roaming around uh, with these torn ACLs and had no clue uh, because, you know, you build up enough. I've been a true believer. You can kind of build muscle around injuries and, and still like, you know, keep moving forward, right? My, yeah. shul my shoulders I've known, right? The labrums are completely torn. They've got all kinds of issues, but I've always been like, you know what? If I keep that sits muscle group fucking strong, everything that makes up your rotator cuff and just always work them out, then the injuries aren't injuries anymore, you know? And, um, and maybe the same thing happened with my knees. You know, you keep your legs strong and you don't know you have uh, <laughs> torn ACLs until the doctor right. tells you. But uh, anyway, okay. 
Whole food versus supplements. Of course you picked whole food. I like to throw that in because I feel like these days supplements, uh, people think that that's, you know, the same kind of sort of, or they, they'll end up doing more supplements to make up for what they're not taking in in whole foods. What are your thoughts? I, so I'll answer this by telling you a story from the book is that, uh, so I mentioned earlier that heart disease is what kills people, right? Like that's our number one killer. So a few years ago, I, I find this study it, and it basically identified this tribe in the Bolivian Amazon that has the healthiest hearts ever recorded by science, like full stop. They don't die of heart disease. And the interesting part too, is not only do they not die of heart disease, they don't die of all these other diseases that kill us like Alzheimer's. They don't seem to get yeah. Alzheimer's. So I'm a, you know, a journalist, investigative journalist. I'm like, all right, we're going to Bolivia, you know? <laughs> so yeah. flying to La Paz, uh, take a 12 hour drive down into the jungle and then six hour canoe up to meet this tribe. And it's hilarious because you're in this canoe, it's called the Pekka Pekka boat. So they're about 30 feet long and maybe two, maybe three feet wide. It's got this like little motor on it. So six hours of this just. <laughs> yeah. Another and thing it, you and you and Jeff can discuss later, by the way, but yeah, keep going. Sounds good. <laughs> um, and it all looks, the jungle all looks the same. It's just six hours of just this dense green. And finally the guy, you know, pulls up to a riverbank. I'm like, how the hell do you know this is it? And he's like, no, we're, we're good. You know, going to the jungle and there they are, right? There's this <laughs> tribe. And yeah. so I hung out with them for a little bit and, you know, trying to get to the bottom of why are they so healthy? Why do they avoid these diseases that kill us? And to bring it back to this question is that it all comes down to what they eat and what they eat is food that has one ingredient and is not ultra processed. I mean, that's it. They just, they're not eating ultra processed food. Meanwhile, the average American, more than half their diet is ultra processed. And what tends to happen is that when you eat food that is super processed, you end up eating more of it faster. So yeah. they don't, they don't do that. They don't end up overeating. Meanwhile, we, you know, live in a sea of Doritos and Slurpees and soda and all this all this shit and even if you have a relatively healthy diet you're probably still eating a lot of super processed stuff right. um now the downside to what they eat is because i stayed with them and ate with them for a few days is it's not exciting it is not exciting food dude <laughs> like <laughs> what was it is it a lot of beans or what is something is it something it's that, a lot it's a lot fish? of rice it's a lot of fish it's some vegetables the fruit was great don't get me wrong yeah. But when you're sitting down to a plate of, you know, plantains that are baked and rice and a chicken that, you know, they just killed a half an hour ago. Yeah. It's it's not good because the chicken is also not like our chicken. Like our chickens in the US are giant because they're engineered to be giant. Yeah. Their chickens are small. The meat is also stringy. really chewy. Yeah, stringy, chewy. Yeah. Um but at the same time, if something doesn't taste, you know, just, oh my God, this is amazing. You're just not going to eat as much of it either. So I think the lesson for the average person is like, one, eat mostly foods that have one ingredient. Two, not every meal has to be a freaking explosion of flavor and party in your mouth. Yeah. And then three, if you occasionally, you know, go off the rails and have something amazing, it's not going to kill you because you've been building this base of mostly whole foods. And that's going to tick most of your nutritional boxes too. Yeah. No, that's great points. I like that. Eat bland, eat real, and you'll be ripped. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or at least you'll you'll die a little yeah. later than you would have. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is the whole longevity stuff that's been going around. Um, you know, everything, you know, it's the diet, it's the sleep, it's the sauna, it's the cold plunge. I mean, you know, it's it's like this total saturation right now of how to live a longer, healthier life and you know, and but ultimately the 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 what you intake is like probably the one of the most important aspects of the whole thing outside of all these other things that, you know, people are cashing in on. And I also find it interesting that a lot of your health folks they'll they'll eat whole foods and they do these, you know, supplements and they'll they'll be anti-processed food but i'm like you realize like supplement is the most processed thing ever right it's not there is there's almost absolutely nothing real about it anymore by the time you you know dump it into your shaker and add water and everything else you know it's yeah exactly i think it's easy to forget that your supplements yeah, exactly. are the most processed fucking thing you eat in intake yeah. and yeah. we like I understand why we process food. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't have 8 billion people on the planet if we didn't process food. I mean, that's just the truth, <laughs> right? Yeah. You can't feed 8 billion people on like apples and, and rice and chickens. Like it's just not working. You need to have a certain level of processed food. But I think that, you know, that got us to a certain point. Yeah. And if you have the means, it probably makes sense to sort of go back to avoiding super processed food generally not all yeah. of it is bad but as a blanket statement it's it's a pretty easy way to approach eating yeah okay good like it rise with the sun and then rise before the sun you picked rise before i did any other than the dog what do you think any other reasoning there because you hear well, the right rise with the sun you know it's like what is what is the health properties of that I've heard about it, but I don't. I don't know that I understand. Well, some people um, put a lot of stock in. You know, you need to go outside uh, when the sun is coming up, and you need to get a certain amount of sun exposure at uh, when the sun is at this angle every day for this amount of minutes. Uh, that seems a way too hyper specific for me, to be honest. It's like <laughs> I don't know if we can go that detailed. I know we can say go outside, right? Every day yeah. is probably going to be good D. for you. Vitamin yeah. D. Yeah. Uh, for me, getting up before the sun is all, it all goes back to writing. I mean, it, it, I need to find a time where I can write best. Yeah. And for me, that is just get up, get out of bed, make a cup of coffee, sit down and sit behind the keyboard. And I'm sure you've, you have the same experience. It's like, if you're going to write a book, you got to like be behind that keyboard for a long time consistently. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's yeah. You got to, uh, and I like to get ahead of the day. And getting up before the sun allows you to get ahead of the day um, in a lot of ways. You know, you can, if you're, if you have to take in a certain amount of protein, it's easier to take in the protein early in the day than waiting any later in the day to get the, that requirement. If depending on, you know, what you're doing or uh, tasks, of course, I mean, early mornings, man, I, I get so many things done and yeah. then, and then the sun is coming up and I'm like, wow. I've already got like all this stupid shit done. Now I can concentrate on the good stuff or vice totally. versa. Yeah. Sometimes I get up and I concentrate on the good stuff and save the dumb stuff for later. But it's, uh, and, and I feel like too, that, you know, sleep wise, I really don't, I, I don't have the patience or to, to wake up with the sun. Like, I don't think I could ever do that. 
you know, and that's probably just the military in me, but, um, urban versus rural. You picked rural. Yeah, I picked rural, rural, rural. So when you, uh, when you look at research on this, uh, most people are happier on average when they live in rural spaces. Basically, the the farther away from cities people get, the less dense the population, happiness levels tend to rise. And that's probably because humans evolved in groups of people that weren't that large. And when our groups become larger than that, it starts to become a lot to manage. We got to come up with laws. We got to come up with all these different things. And it's also probably because we're closer to nature when you're yeah. in a when you're in a rural area. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm picking rural. So I live in Las Vegas, but our house is right on the edge of the desert. So I can just walk out there every morning, go for a hike, take my dog out, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's smart. I wouldn't live anywhere closer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I'm I, with you. I have a friend. I have a friend who literally lives in a casino he lives in a uh, <laughs> in a condo on the strip. I'm like, how how do you do that? It's like you leave home and you're you're inside like the aria. This is insane to me. But yeah, works for some people, I guess. He obviously has more money. and He knows what to do with. If you're living in there, living in those hotels, that's yeah. Yeah, uh, I couldn't do that. I mean, just walking through that that smoke and that smell of casino to get to the elevators every day, I, I can't stand it. I mean, that that is if there's one thing that triggers a migraine for me, it's just cigarette smoke. Oh, know? really? And it I, it boggles my mind that you know Vegas is still. I think heck, it's got to be one of the only places, right? Casinos are the only places. Yeah, some still states still yeah, some states still allow it in bars, but as a whole, um <clears throat> yeah, it's not a I'm I'm surprised. So did you have a migraine the entire time you were in the military? Pretty much. I mean, I had to like, you know, avoid it. Um unfortunately, you know, a group of seals, no one's really smoking. Uh mm. yeah, it's a big like if there if there's guys smoking, you're looking at them like, "Really?" There was one guy, man. This guy, he could he could smoke and then still crush you um on on pt run swims everything and uh but then later i saw this other study with a couple of these marathon runners that have actually won and they're like chain smokers and it's supposedly they just their body just doesn't require as much oxygen therefore they can run like the wind <laughs> you know and yeah. they, the smoking somehow like actually help them with long distance running it boggles my mind but i remember reading it going huh it actually kind of makes sense like they just don't require as much oxygen as the rest of us yeah they're just assaulting their lungs with cigarette smoke then <laughs> then exercise and it's just like their lungs have just become the most robust things yeah. in the world yeah <laughs> yeah behavior versus environment you picked environment and here's the reason why i put this one together there is a show Coming out on um, uh, National Geographic, I saw the guy on the news, another longevity show, and he made he made this great statement. He was like, you know, you're never really going to be able to change your behavior, but you can make it adapt by changing your surroundings. 
You know, so he's like, most people that try to change something, it really actually never lasts. They, it's a very difficult thing to do if you don't change your surroundings. Your surroundings, if you pick the right place, you'll eat better. You'll be outside more. You know, that was kind of his point, right? It's yeah. like you got to change the surroundings, not so much your behavior. <clears throat> because if you stay in the same place and try to change your behavior, you'll always revert back to whatever that behavior was to begin with. And, uh, yeah, anyway, so I thought, hey, behavior versus environment, you picked environment. Yeah, well, I think that environment drives behavior, right? Like we're surrounded in how what we do is often determined by cues in the environment. If I'm driving and I see an octagon that's red, I go, oh, okay, because the because I've been trained to stop at a stop sign. Yeah, right. And so you can apply that principle throughout your life. Um, a good example would be if you have trouble eating junk food. And your environment is filled with junk food like you're gonna eat junk food if it's there <laughs> because you yeah. might eat junk food for reasons you're unaware of like when you get stressed like when you get an email from your boss uh that pisses you off like when your significant other is like you need to clean the damn dishes things like that <laughs> and so you react by eating junk food but if you don't have yeah. junk food in your environment i.e in your house you're not gonna be able to eat it so changing your environment just basically allows you to not do some of the behaviors that you've effectively trained yourself to do. And over time, you'll start to kind of adapt to those new behaviors. Yeah, I like it. And it's uh, it kind of also is a convenience versus discipline thing, right? Anything that's convenient, your discipline's probably going to go out the window. And anything that's, yeah. you know, anything that you really are disciplined on, is not going to be very convenient, right? So it's like a, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it like, this is one of those questions where if we were to sit down with two behaviorists, we would start going down the rabbit hole of like, do humans have free will? What is free will? Do we have it, <laughs> right? And it would just like, all of a sudden your your mind is just exploding. Uh, but so much of how, why we do what we do is driven by our Environment. environment. I mean, that's yeah. sort of the, the short answer. And so if you can figure out environmental uh, triggers behind a behavior, yeah. then you can change. Because if you if you just try changing the, the uh, behavior, but you still have that environmental trigger, then you're, you're, you know, trying to go upstream without a paddle, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. <clears throat> change versus adapt kind of the kind of on the same topic uh but yeah adapt you picked adapt and i think people some people may think those are one and the two or those one and the same um and they're just not right change is literally a change which is very difficult but it, taking that baseline and then adapting it is much easier or what are your thoughts on that yeah i kind of picked one at random because i wasn't sure where the question was headed but i guess i would say i guess i would say change what you can and yeah. adapt to what you can change it's like the the environment thing we just said i mean you can yeah change your environment um but if there's something you can't change then you need to adapt to it right yeah i was looking at it more from you as a person it's very difficult especially you know what is it at age 27 your brain is finally you know uh, fully baked. Yeah. Whatever they call it. Yeah. And 
you know, and you know, there's a lot there that is very difficult to change. You know, you're you're already off to the races and however you're programmed is how you're programmed and changing it is just it's just very difficult. And uh, but adapting is it's not 100 percent a change. It's taking what you would change and going, all right, how can I still do this? But I just got to tackle it in a way that in, a, in just a different path. It's really adaption, you know, and special operations is just known for adapting. We're not trying to, we're not changing ourselves in order to solve a problem or get through a mission. We're on the fly adapting to whatever those environments or obstacles so that we can keep moving forward. Um, and trying to do it as efficiently as possible, but where total change is just, you know, you're not going to do that. Uh, or it's very difficult to, um, and then now to end it and a good segue to comfort crisis, which was your first book versus your current one, uh, scarcity brain, you pick scarcity brain. So this is a good way to kick it off. Let's first go through if, if these books were, you know, you, you, if, if, comfort crisis was phase one and scarcity brain is phase two like what is what did we get from the first one and then dive into what we're going to get out of the second one the first one comfort crisis it explains how as our world has become more and more comfortable how we've lost a lot of what keeps us physically healthy mentally healthy uh happy basically the short answer is that humans are always going to choose the next easiest, most comfortable path that kept us alive in the past when the world was harsh and uncomfortable. We were hunter gatherers, but now we live in a world where you can take escalators, where you drive everywhere, where you don't have to work for your food, where you can live at 72 degrees on and on and on. Right. And so that drive no longer serves us. And so the book really looks at, um, how do you push back against that to live better? So it's, It's a lot of a, it's a lot of physical. Uh, I spent more than a month in the Arctic reporting that book. That's right. And I would say that scarcity brain is more the psychological extension of that book in a way. It looks at why can't humans get enough, right? We are a creature that craves food, stuff, information, status. We have all these things that we are built to crave. And um, the reason that I started thinking about this topic in the first place is that I live in Las Vegas. And Las Vegas is a town built on excess, right? And you obviously see a ton of strange things when you live in Las Vegas. But to me, the weirdest has always been the slot machines. And of course, (laughs) casinos are filled with slot machines. Like they're 90% slot machines. But what is stranger is that slot machines are in our gas stations, they're in our grocery stores, they're in our bars, they're in our restaurants, they're in our freaking airport. <laughs> and they don't sit empty. Like I will get groceries at 7 a.m. on a Tuesday and there might be three, four, five people playing a freaking slot machine. And it's like, just playing, <laughs> just playing. Hope is a powerful thing, isn't it? Hope. Well, that's it. <laughs> yeah. You go, okay, so everyone knows the house wins. I mean, that's just the reality. 
So you go, why are these people doing this behavior over and over and over that they know is going to hurt them in the long run? Like, this doesn't make any damn sense. So I want to understand that, which long story short, through, you know, talking to guy A who puts me in touch with guy B, who puts me in touch with lady C and then person, you know, D, I end up at this place called uh, Blackfire Innovation. And it is arguably the nicest, most cutting edge casino in town, but it's not open to the public. It's a laboratory. It's a casino, full working casino laboratory that is uh, funded by the gambling industry and big tech industry. So there's 73 different country, uh, companies that are invested in this place. And it's like a twilight zone of casinos, dude. Like, <laughs> So they're basically researching um, how these little tweaks that happen in casinos can uh, alter a person's behavior, expectations, get them to do something, right? And I end up talking to, to bring it back to slot machines, I end up talking to the guy who owns, they have a separate lab just for slot machine research and slot machine design. And uh, he basically lays out why a slot machine works. And slot machines work on a three-part system. So you have, number one is opportunity. You have an opportunity to get something of value. So in the case of the slot machine, that you could win money. Number two is that you have unpredictable rewards. So in the case of a slot machine, when you pull that handle, you might lose your money. You might win a few quarters. You might win a life-changing amount of money. You're not sure. Yeah. And then number three is quick repeatability. You can play and play and respin and respin this thing. You can go right back into that. So I call it the scarcity loop because it is a looping behavior. So, okay, cool. Like it explains why slot machines work. But when you start to look at that big picture, you start to see that in so many of the behaviors that are just embedded in our daily life and institutions. So think about how social media works. Same exact loop. New financial apps. Uh, companies that are in the gig economy are actually using it to lead people to work longer hours, work into different areas like Uber's using it. It's also in dating apps. Might get a mate. Swipe, 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 swipe. Oh my God, I matched with someone. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Swipe, swipe, swipe. So it's just embedded in our life now. And um, once you start to sort of see it, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> this explains why, one, people will play slot machines, but why we get so hooked on all these different apps like social media, why we get obsessed with like an email coming in. It's all these random rewards games that we repeat all day every day yeah and there's there's literally nothing better at uh getting humans to do repeat behaviors that can be detrimental in the long run and it even works in animals so i've talked to these the psychologists who's basically created a, a game that mimics a slot machine for pigeons and he can turn a pigeon into a degenerate gambler in about five minutes with this system it also works in rats it works in monkeys it's just it's this ancient thing that uh, actually helped us survive in the past it helped us find food so if you think about searching for food millions of years ago yeah it's a random rewards game you need food to survive you search and search and search there's nothing in point a nothing in point b nothing in point c oh my god point d has so much food yes right. we survived got okay it. now we got to play again 
It's really, you. I mean, it's also, correct me if I'm wrong, but these are all like, this is the foundation to addiction, right? I mean. It is 100% the foundation yeah. of addiction. Yeah. yeah. It's You're breaking it down into its most simplest phases, three little phases, and boom, you can make anybody addicted to anything if you follow those three principles, right? Yeah. It just needs those three principles. And even, I mean, you can apply it to drug use. It's okay. So I have an opportunity to, you know, get high, escape, whatever. Um, if I go buy drugs, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find drugs. I don't know how strong they're going to be because that's always changing. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble in the process. And I also don't know what's going to happen once I'm high because people's, their personality changes. It's like, you know, people get liquid courage from alcohol, right? So it opens up this totally different um, day that you can have. And then I'm just going to repeat that. I'm going to get high the next day and the next day and the next yeah. day. Yeah. Before you know it, you're lost. Yep. <clears throat> crazy that's interesting and I, I think it's kind of actually i mean yeah you see it everywhere i mean like you said social media is i feel like mastered it right i mean mm -hmm. you can look at instagram and then look at it you find yourself going oh i'll look five not even five minutes goes by and you look again you know i'll look again right yeah. oh refresh look again refresh look again cycle over to facebook okay anything new there nope back to instagram okay back to twitter exactly Better anything new there anything new there okay back to instagram <laughs> i mean it's like yeah you know when you're sitting in an airport I, I definitely find myself doing that where you just cycle around them you know so not only within the app but it's cycling through all the apps also is the same exact game. So there's like this macro version of what you're talking about and all yeah. the way to these micro versions where it exists at all levels. And, uh, yeah, the, the apps that people check most frequently are going to have um, unpredictability woven into them. And then yeah. the opportunity is just, it, it could be different. So in the case of, uh, in the case of social media, it's probably going to be to enhance status, right? You want to know, did I get, uh, let's say you post, yeah. You want to get, you know, you're hoping to get likes, which is basically a quantified way of talking about status. So you post and then you wait and then, you know, you could get a couple likes, which you're like, oh, damn, I wish I would have got more. That doesn't feel great. Or it could be like this viral post that, you know, changes your life. I mean, the, the range of outcomes is so crazy that we just, we want to know. So you're going to check yeah. and recheck that all day. But with something like, for example, um, if you use a stock trading app, it's a similar thing. It's like, I'm going to, I have an opportunity to make money. I'm going to make this trade and then I'm going to check and recheck to see whether it was a good outcome, whether it's a bad outcome. It's the exact same thing as gambling. It's just, uh, the government's cool with it in the case of stocks. <laughs> yeah. And some companies too have really realized one of the things that, um, makes it, you need the quick repeatability. There needs to be the speed element. So for example, companies like, uh, Robin hood was the first to start this. They started using this practice where people don't have to pay to make a trade because that slows down the frequency of engagement and making trades. And so now people will basically become day traders where they're making tons and tons of trades in a day because they don't have the fee attached to it. So they can be like, oh, I'm doing this. And then I'm checking. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And I'm checking. And it's it's literally the same thing. It's just sitting there hitting a slot machine. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So now what's the solution to some of this type of stuff? I mean... Yeah, so with this with this three-part scarcity loop, the way that you can stop it is just by stopping any one of the three parts. So you can take away the opportunity. You can make the rewards predictable. 
or you can slow down the process. You slow it down. So we'll go, we'll go to cell phones because that's um, easy. So for example, slowing down the opportunity, there are certain apps that you can install on your phone that will make you wait in order to, and go through a process in order to check them. That's inherently going to slow down how many times you're checking that thing, right? And putting limits on that. I mean, it just disrupts that cycle. Um, <clears throat> or it could change, you know, you, I think it requires some introspection to be like, what is the opportunity of using social media? What am I trying to get from this? Because I think what happens is people download it and they go, and this happened to me. <laughs> like I, I download Instagram and I go, okay, I'm downloading this so I can uh, share photos of my life with my friends from college. And then you start posting and you realize, oh, I'm getting likes. And this type of photo gets more likes than this type of photo. So you start behaving to get likes in the system. I mean, the system is literally training you about what you should be posting. <laughs> yeah. So the so your goal switches and you don't even realize it. It all of a sudden becomes to get likes, to get plays, to get whatever. But you can revert back to the original goal. You can be like, look, if I'm not using this in a way that fits a certain goal, which could be, you know, to keep up on news or to connect with like-minded people and try and have in-person interactions. Um, there's all these different goals you could set that don't have to be, yeah, just try and get likes, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. No, I like that. And I, I have to remind myself on a regular basis with social, like, you know, this is for business. And I also say it out loud, like, this is a means to an end, right? It's, yeah. it really is like, especially for us authors, you want to sell books, you have to have social media, you just do. I mean, you have to, you know, you know, put that book cover out there. You know, I don't know if you watch me, but I do it every couple of days, you know, hey, book cover, let me give you something, I'm going to give you like a tip or a skill or, you know, information too. So it's not just, you know, oh, it's just another fucking book cover again. But, you know, you got to constantly put it out there and I have to constantly remind myself, don't get sucked into the rest of it because the rest of it just doesn't matter. In fact, I found myself getting sucked into it and I purposely went and unfollowed, like take control again. I go and unfollow all the things. It doesn't mean I don't support my friends, but personally, I'm, I don't need to see your marketing just like you may not want to see my marketing someday. Right. <laughs> so yeah. you just have to remember to maintain control because it's real easy to sit there and scroll and let it, you know, number one, it's controlling you. Number two, it's affecting your mood, your behavior. You know, it, it can really yeah. mess with you and make you feel like, I'm, well, am I keeping up with the Joneses or am I not keeping up with the Joneses? Or, you know, or for me, I get I get annoyed. Like everyone yeah. is a talking head now. Everyone. Right. Everyone has this ant evangelical style too now, right? They're not specifically preaching the Bible or God when I say that. I mean, they're preaching, be successful like me, do what I do, right? Or mm -hmm. be beautiful like me, eat the way I eat, or work out the way I work out, do what I do. You know, it's just constant, you know? And like some of my good friends have become very evangelical, and I'm just like, okay, I really, I, I know that you're a former SEAL and 
you know, I know the truth. <laughs> so I don't know why you're preaching right now. <laughs> and so yeah. I just unfollow, 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 because it, I, I sit there and I just shake my head like, what the fuck are they talking about? And, right. um, and I think it's it's tough, too, because the, you know, it has to be go back to the speed part. Right. Yeah. It has for Instagram and TikTok or Twitter or any of these things to work. Things have to be quick. They have to grab your attention and the speed has just increased over time. Yeah. And and when that happens on a message, the message has to be boiled down to something very simple and easy to understand. Now the the reality is is that very few things in the world in life are very simple or very easy to understand. Right? Life is complex. There's so many like it's, you know, the question of of, you know, what should I eat for health? Yeah. It's like well, like here's these principles, but if you do this thing, that also works. If you do like, it's a, like, there's literally textbooks written on this topic and someone can just pull out the phone and be like, yeah, eat this or else you're going to die. Everything is toxic. Goodbye. Right. <laughs> like that's, that's not <laughs> yeah. helpful for anyone. So I right. do think that, I do think that the rise of podcasts has been useful in a lot of ways because you can spend more time digging into the nuance that's necessary to understand a lot of things. But I'll also say too, is that this idea that I was talking about where the system sort of trains you about what to care about and changes what you care about and in turn changes your behavior. I mean, it's it's not just in social media. I mean, I'm a professor at UNLV. Yeah. I see it with my students in grades. So it's like, what is the point of going to college? The point of going to college is to uh, get this larger education, to ask yourself questions about why you think the way you do, to learn how to analyze complex topics. It's to train yourself to be able to go out and have a good career. But what do my students care about? They care about grades because grades are like this clear metric they can put on their behavior, right? But a grade, a grade doesn't necessarily tell you whether you've accomplished any of those things that college is actually for. Right. So I'll have yeah. students that just go totally robotic to get the A, and I'm like, you didn't learn shit in this class. Yeah. You just you just went into robot mode. But then I'll have, on the other hand, students who are like in the B plus zone, and they're going, okay, well, why why did you tell us this? Well, I tried to do this assignment like this, and you know, I thought it'd be an interesting way to approach it, and. I just want to be ready for my career. Like they're really thinking through these things, but they might get a B plus because they're more free thinking and actually leaning into the original intent of college. But when you see employers who then interview those students, they go, Oh, well, this one got an A and this one got a B plus. I'm taking the A. So it's like, all right, well, you've just made the workforce a lot more robotic. Now, so a lot of times when we when we try and simplify really complex things down into a single metric, we oftentimes lose all these larger things that what we've simplified into a metric really stands for. Yeah, no, I like that. And you bring up a good point, the reward system, whether it's, you know, school or it, there's room for reward systems to be kind of reinvented. I think, you know, don't you agree? I mean, you being a professor, you probably know it better than anyone. Like, the the grading system is trying to be as objective as possible and sometimes it you like you you're you're actually observant enough to where that b plus kid is probably actually your a plus kid in a subjective world mm -hmm. with the right people observing and saying okay now this person is putting in the effort trying to learn and 
kind of checking the boxes that you feel are important. But yet it's it's a very objective world and you're never going to get to that because it's no, no, we got to it's this criteria that you're actually being graded by, not the fact that you're actually putting in effort, you know, and trying to actually, you know, collect that knowledge and and actually do something with it real time. Yeah, Instead, it's yeah, it's more of the subjective robot world, right? Mm -hmm. Where uh, yeah, and I think that I mean a lot of times these what these simple metrics do is they make our li they make the lives of certain people easier. So in the case of grades, it's to make administrators' lives easier. Yeah. So it's so when someone in high school, you know, when let's say all of a sudden we were to go to written evaluations in high school, every class a student took, the teacher would write a, a single page on the student and be like, here's what they're really good at. Here's what they're really bad at. And then that person were to apply to college. And every single, every single student's applications had 24 pages of these written analysis of like how they did. That would be completely overwhelming. It's way easier to just be like, you can sum that up with 4.0 or 3.7, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Like it can be literally GPA colon 4.0 and you go, okay, yeah. good. Makes your life easier. That's right. But it doesn't necessarily tell the whole story. No. And it's unfortunate, you know? It's like, I feel like too, you know, some people just, you know, take longer to kind of come into that student status than others. You know, I'm, I was definitely that guy, right? And high school is much different than college. Co and then, and then the, the, how I go about learning now and is totally different than college, right? And, you know, it's just phases of your life and what you find important, what's not important at those moments. And, and then on the grading side, of course, it has to be objective, you know, to, in order to grade everybody equally because that's so important as well or is it i don't know i get right i, I find myself you know questioning that too right you're either good yeah. at something or you're not and you know that you turn around and blame it on you know whatever <laughs> it just doesn't make sense to me but people get away with it and that also restricts how grading goes and everything else goes right yeah. um Two percent. Two percent. What is the two percent? You are the yeah. founder of two percent.com and that is two spelt out PCT.com. But so what is it? What is the two percent? So the two percent comes from a study that found that only two percent of people will take the stairs when there's also an escalator available. So ninety-eight huh. percent of people take the escalator. No shit. I take the 100, stairs. One hundred percent of those people <laughs> know that taking the stairs is going to be better for them, right? Yeah. So it really gets um, to this larger idea is that we're sort of engineered as humans to do the next easiest thing, even though that oftentimes doesn't serve us today. So two percent is basically a uh, media website where I write about this topic in a lot of different ways. Um, I'm basically, it's a journalism, journalism, health journalism website. And so we dive into a lot of different uh, relevant topics to people's lives. And sort of my, my approach to all this is that, you know, I came from big media where everything was very um, simplified and sort of dumbed down for clicks. And while it, it's good to give people advice that's simple that they can use, we often missed a lot of important things. And now you kind of see a rise in, you know, five hour health podcasts that just bury people in information. Right. And so I try and find a middle ground where 
we really distill what actually works. We read the data, we talk to the experts, and we give people realistic advice that they can implement into their life in a way that is uh, digestible. I'm signing up for it right now. I just went to 2percent.com as you were talking to T-W-O-P-C-T.com. Put right my on. email address, subscribe. You have 26,000 subscribers. Is that a real number? Or is that just what your website tells people? <laughs> no, it actually it, So I do it through Substack. So it goes out on email three days a week. Um, yeah. And Substack counts all that. So yeah, we're building it. We launched it in May. That's great, man. Yeah, man, it's a fun project because there's, you know, I, like, like I said, I I wrote for magazines for so long and I would write these stories that have these really, you know, interesting facts that were a little bit more nuanced and it would all get sort of cut out and that always sucked. So giving people a little more in-depth information, but not so in-depth that I take them down the rabbit hole that no one can escape from and dies in. Yeah. Yeah, I see this. All right. So I'm in here. Yep. The paradox of making your bed. Mm. 11 important health questions answered. Then you have uh, AMA. That's ask me anything. You do stuff like that. You've got uh, is breakfast cereal healthy? Hmm. I like it, man. Okay. This will be my new thing. And I, uh, you got the shop. You got books. Love it. Yeah, man. Um, it's a fun project. Yeah. No, that's great. And uh, so what are all the others? What what else you got? What's next? Oh, man. Well, our uh, our editor, who you and I have both worked <laughs> with, he's going he's gonna to bury me in scarcity brain promotions. He'll, he'll work me until I'm dead. So yeah. uh, if, you know, if you never hear back from me, it's, it's that the book tour killed me. But um, yeah, so I'll be, I'll be doing that. I'll be continuing with uh, 2% and maybe a third book. Probably starting to think about that. That's, you know, kind of what we do is when the second one, before the second one has even come out, you're going, what's the third one? Right. Before the third one's come out, come out, you're going, what's the fourth one? I mean, you know that. I think you're about fourfold ahead of me with your eight books. So, yeah. No, you constantly. And in fact, I, I just hit like kind of the, this last book, man, I was burned out. It took me forever <laughs> to like get it to the finish line. Like I, it's always easy, like the night, like 85, 90%. And then it's the last, like that last aspects of it that I'm always like, Oh my God. Um, but yep. yeah, it's, it's, uh, books are no joke. I, I think everyone should write one. It doesn't matter whether you publish it, whatever, but go through, the process of starting it to the finish line and you'll learn so much, not just about yourself, but whatever it is that you're going to research or the story you're going to tell. It's a, it's a good, I think everybody yeah. should do it at least once in their life, you know? Yeah. Give it a go. But the joke, the joke among writers is that, you know, when, when we're at parties and there's like a, you know, someone <laughs> comes up to us and, and we say, Oh, what do you, what do you do? And they're They go, I'm a surgeon. And they ask, what do you do? And I go, oh, I'm a, I'm a writer. I'm an author. And the surgeon always goes, oh, yeah, I've, I've, I'm thinking about writing a book. And our response is always, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've always thought about maybe doing surgery. Yeah. Like, yeah. People think it's easy. Yeah. It's not. I'm sure that person yeah. could try and write a book. It would be just about as good as my open heart surgery untrained on <laughs> his patient. Yeah. So yeah. it's good exercise. 
Well, I cheat. I make sure there's illustrations so I don't have to write so much, you know. But um, it's uh, it definitely it's definitely a process, and uh, I think everyone should just go for it. It's a uh, you'll either find out uh, how good you are or how bad you are at writing. That's for damn sure. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, it's about that time. Go through your little scenario. This now that you you've been through this before, so you should smoke oh, it. All right. So I hope <laughs> this determines if you uh, survive the podcast. So are you ready, Mister Easter? I think so. Let's all right, do this. Here we go. For this scenario, you are home alone at night when suddenly an emergency broadcast displays massive saucers filling the sky. In I do every- live in Vegas. In every major city. Yes, you do. Uh, God. God knows there's a lot of freaky, weird aliens there, right? Um, Do you, A, exit the house and drive to a secluded area, or B, take a moment, assess the situation, and prep a go bag? I'm prepping the go bag. That's right. Yeah, why not? You have a moment. (laughs) <laughs> and God knows, can you imagine, like, if it was, uh, what was the, what was the, my, one of my favorite alien movies was the one with Tom Cruise. It was a remake. It's, it's really him and his daughter just trying to get through a couple of nights together. But it was a remake of, man, it's probably one of the best ones. And you just, I'm going to have to rewatch that. <clears throat> you know which one I'm talking about, right? I can picture it, yeah. but I can't, I can't think of the name. Yeah, it's a, like a common... Yeah, World... There's the voice from the... There it is. The, the, the World of Wars. Wars of... Yeah. Say it again, yeah. Jeff. War of the Worlds. Yeah. That was yeah. definitely... And it's a remake. It's definitely one of my favorites. And that damn thing is... You know, you see what happens when something like this... It's just pandemonium. It's craziness. It's like, why would you want to go out in that anyway? Unless you had a good solid plan and a lot of gear. (laughs) So, yes, you want to stay calm, assess, and quickly start gathering supplies for your go bag and all kinds of good stuff. Collect information. You hear chaos and destruction outside. Do you? A. Evaluate that situation. Meaning, hey, I'm going to look out the window and go, okay. Or B, go ahead and barricade. Barricade all doors, knowing that you're kind of in for the long haul. Mm, that's a that's a good one. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna assess. Yeah. Yeah, for this situation and for this scenario you're going through a is correct evaluate the situation remember with our stories you know your answer might be right but it might not be right for the next question we're going to ask you so yes a evaluate the situation you look outside you gather more intel uh in order to make you know informed decisions and even though we're using aliens man this could be this could be social unrest we know we face yeah. that in major cities uh time and time again so so you outside the skies are blotted out with ufos and aliens are destroying homes then your power goes out so do you a use cell phone use your cell phone to call for help or b 
try to find a working radio and or landline. I'm going radio because then you can get government broadcasts. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the ham radio community, uh, most people don't know it, but when 9-11 hit, like it was, it was the ham radio users that kind of kept a lot of things running for us because really, yeah, it was, cool. uh, especially up there in the Northeast. It was pretty cool. So yeah, radio operators are going to be on the, on the air radios are analog going back to the beginning of our conversation. And you should always have an analog form of communication set up for yourself, uh, regardless of where you live. So cell phone services go away really quickly. If just a couple of towers around you go down, guess what? Your cell phones don't work. It doesn't matter how charged it is or how many apps you've got. Um, you're down and out. So cell service is now down and you've got to look for a landline. As you search for a way to communicate, you hear a loud banging at your front door. Someone or something is trying to break in. So do you A, answer the door knowing that you're going to fight or B, find a way to evade and escape? I'm going to vape because I don't know how Jack the aliens are and I don't know if they've been doing jujitsu. I don't know anything about them. <laughs> yeah, I know that whole jujitsu thing. It's so scary. And uh, yeah, I mean, here's what I mean. Imagine this. Take an alien movie, Superman. Okay. Imagine if the aliens are all Superman when they come to this earth. Like we are so screwed. Most people don't think about it. We got lucky that Superman was a friend. He was raised by a family in Kansas for crying out exactly. loud. So we got lucky there. But could you imagine these aliens on their planet? They're normal like you and I, but when they come to our planet, they've got lasers coming in their eyes. They can, you know, you know, fly faster than a speeding bullet. They can, uh, you know, all those things Superman had. I mean, could you imagine? We're fucked. Um, we're screwed. Yeah, we're just going to have to help. They're not. We're going to have to, fingers crossed, they're not fast. <laughs> and we're going to go yeah. back to one of the first questions you asked, lift or run. And the people who choose run, we're going to survive. <laughs> they're going to win. Yeah. And they don't rely on protein shakes every day because you're not going <laughs> to have those anymore. <laughs> All right. Yes, you find a way to evade because it could be very well an evil Superman standing at the front door. Um, you decide to look for a way to escape. As you move towards the back of the house, the windows shatter and aliens begin to enter through the broken grass, the broken glass. I'm still nasally. I, had, I just got over with that whole thing called COVID. Um, mm. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. So, do you A, create a makeshift weapon, or B, hide inside of a small kitchen cupboard? <laughs> it's, yeah, pretty tall. <laughs> That's a tough one for you. I, but think I'm gonna, I think I'm going to hide. It really boils down to hide or make a weapon. Yeah, I'm going to hide. You're going to hide? Damn it. Yeah, for this scenario, that's wrong. So, you grab... The nearest large blunt object that you can find, which happens to be a fire extinguisher, right. and you get ready to defend yourself. Okay, because you're suddenly, assuming that they're they're trying to. It's on now. It's on. Yeah. Okay. If you were to hide, they were going to find you within seconds anyway, right? Okay. Um, suddenly, 
U.S. military jets fly overhead and begin to battle the aliens. Do you get your go bag and hide until military the military rescues you? <laughs> That's kind of a joke. I don't know what the answer to that is, but B, take advantage of the chaos and try to escape. So I guess, you know, these, these flybys certainly help because it distracts the aliens you are about to confront. Mm -hmm. And really, you've just got to decide. Do you take advantage of that moment and escape or, you know, okay, now I'm just going to get my go bag and I'm going to hope that those jets rescue me. <laughs> I'm going to get out of there. I'm not... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm out of there. The take aliens are in the house. So I don't want to have to fight them. I'm getting out of there while they're looking at the jets. That's right. You're going to take advantage of those jets flying by, serve as a uh, distraction, a deterrent, whatever, and you decide to escape. As you make your way outside, you you see that the city is just in ruins already. These, these things have just taken over so quickly. So do you, A, try to find other survivors, B, look for food and water? Hmm. Say those again. Try to f try to look for other survivors, or uh, start looking for food and water. I'm looking for food and water. Yeah, of course. You decide to look for food and water. You find a valuable supply, but when encounter, but then you encounter hostile human survivors. Okay, I've mm -hmm. always said that. You know, is or what is our real biggest threat? It's ourselves, usually. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no, it's, I like think that, it, it's, it's like that episode of The Twilight Zone where the aliens, uh, the way they destroy us is they put like a little bit of chaos and like maybe faint that they were there. And then the neighbors all come out and the neighbors get in a fight with each other and end up killing each other. Yeah. And the aliens go, okay, yep, well, they've killed each other. Now we can go <laughs> land there and not have any problems. No doubt about it. Now, and currently, the more real, the, the more realistic version of that is what I... I use the China scenario. Like China's never going to invade us. We've got more guns than we have people, and we got more bullets than we have guns. So we're doing pretty good here as far as preventing any kind of invasion. But what will they do? Yeah, they'll they'll take those two new submarines that they have. Uh, both of them are equipped with our EMP technology. They'll put one on the left coast, one on the right coast. And they will fire off those EMPs through those two submarines and shut down the West Coast and the East Coast and then just sit back and watch the chaos ensue, right? What is What does that technology do? It's uh, electromagnetic pulse. It's right. basically, they've, they've basically taken our technology and built two stealth submarines around it. Okay. And then you can put those on each coast and push a button and it'll fry all the technology on the west coast and the east coast wow. and then they can just and then now they just sail back to china and just let us um basically fight it out with one another because that's ultimately what will happen right imagine mm -hmm. right your technology goes down what do you do what do you do crazy <laughs> yeah and we've got guns We've got more guns than we do people. We have 100 million more guns than we do people in the United States. Jeez. And we have literally billions in bullets, right? right. Probably trillions. Uh, so, yeah, you're going to be probably friendly at first and 
you know that that's a whole other crazy scenario but very very real um anyway i don't i'd rather i'd rather have aliens to be honest with you <laughs> than having to battle out your buddies yeah. you know mm-hmm. uh okay you decide to look for food and water you find valuable supplies when encountered by these hostile human survivors who also want the supplies so do you a uh give them give them give it up and maybe wait for that that next little spot or b you know maybe uh palm strike this person in the face as hard as you can and flee <laughs> i'm palm striking a, yeah there we go you gotta fight uh, you're gonna you're gonna have to definitely turn into a fighter um so yes b you uh palm strike and uh you know this one you know obviously could go either way you're picking violence um at that moment in time because the food and the water are worth it i would say they're worth it uh to think that oh i'll just wait until the next stop to get food and water you know i don't know if that's a good idea you know because you may get to the next stop and it's already empty it's already Mm -hmm. been looted it's already been just taken over uh and food and water for the future is is the currency and the currency means you you take it while you can and that means popping somebody in the face or shooting them or whatever (laughs) you do whatever you can to survive and you chose wisely because you have survived this podcast good job buddy assuming that when i hid the aliens didn't just tear me apart (laughs) in the cupboard yeah that's right but hey you miss one that's okay you're at a 90 percent, and you as a professor can respect that number yeah we'll take it yeah there you go and uh hey thanks for uh thanks for coming on board thanks for sharing all your insight once again uh give everybody all your uh all your handles and uh, websites yeah so the new book is called scarcity brain the uh website we talked about where i'm writing three times a week is two percent that's twopct.com and then i'm on the grams and the twitters at uh at michael underscore easter yeah love it well hey thank you again for uh coming on board and uh going through another uh you know survival moment we appreciate you and everyone go check out both books uh they're worth it and i hope to have you back with your third book someday so good luck to the future and uh thank you again and hey everyone else out there keep it simple because crisis will complicate the rest and be safe until next time